You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, good evening, everyone. It's so good that you've been able to join us this Sunday evening and this new year as we begin our new series, Bible Fresh. And over the course of these next number of Sunday evenings, and hopefully you can see it on the screen, or if not, uh, look online uh, on live stream. But we'll be working our way through the Bible together. And all being well, as restrictions will allow, we'll have maybe 25 people in here in the youth suite at Union Road on Sunday evenings. Where it'll look a little bit different from what we're doing tonight. There'll be more time in God's Word and, and a little bit of, of interaction in that way too, all being well. But what we want to do is we want you to know your Bible well and better, how to read it well. And well, to help you all do that, we're having a, a big overview of the Bible in these weeks up to Easter. Because some of you might be wondering, what on earth does Chronicles, Hosea and Micah have to do at all with Jesus? Or how does Leviticus or Numbers fit in with the rest of the Bible? What does the Old Testament got to do with the New Testament? So over these next weeks, we will be looking at, at, at different sections of the Bible. So you'll see on the screen, hopefully, that next week we will be looking at the book of Genesis. And if you would like to come along and sit uh, with us in the book of Genesis, please uh, text or sign up uh, texting me or messaging me and let me know that you are coming. Um, because we need to have the correct number of people with uh, the social distancing and so on. But it would be so great if you would be able to join us for that uh, next Sunday evening in the book of Genesis to book your place here with us. But tonight we begin with this big Bible overview. And we have to look at the whole of scripture in one night. In some ways it's the easiest one to do but then also the hardest. But let's look at God's word together tonight. And let's read a few verses, quite a few verses of scripture so if you want to open your Bible and follow along with me, firstly to Genesis 1 and chapter 27. Genesis 1 and chapter 27. Okay, so that's obviously very near the start. And let's read God's Word. Um, read verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Okay, then let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. So we've just seen that God wants to have people in all of the earth. Genesis chapter 2. Let's read um, from verses 15 to 17. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, there we have man in God's presence working. And now we want to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Verses 14 to 21. So 
this is what's commonly called the fall. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. You desire, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about what I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And there we see God's people banished from God's presence and the place where God was, man was sent away. And now let's flip right to the end of scripture and let's read Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and just the first Five verses. Man has been banished from God's presence in the Garden of Eden. Okay, and now this is what we read in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So in Revelation, we have the reversal of what happens in Genesis 3, don't we? We have God's people returning to a place where God dwells. In Eden, God's people were sent away from the place where God dwells. We've just read a few passages, but let us pray together before we consider this big Bible overview. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. And Father, we confess in our hearts that we find it really hard to read your word. We find it hard to understand how it all pieces together. But Lord, we pray tonight 
that we would be helped by your spirit that we would see jesus and all of its brilliance and of his glory for lord it is our heart's desire to be your people to dwell in your heavenly throne room for there we will be in your presence for all of eternity with sins forgiven washed white as snow as a beautiful bride so we can rejoice and serve and worship our redeemer jesus and it's in his name we pray amen so tonight we are looking at the, the big picture of the bible if you like and then in the coming weeks we'll be looking at roughly in order of the way the bible is structured and god reveals himself to us in general revelation that is in nature so we think of the greatness of the universe or how complex the human body is but also god reveals to himself to us in a very special way and we call that special revelation and that is his word the bible where god reveals to us who he is but he also reveals to us his mercy his grace and his justice so tonight we're looking at the big picture as it were and i know many people love jigsaw puzzles and maybe have done some over christmas or at the course of 2020 and to really put a, a puzzle together unless you're doing a four by four with your children you really need the big picture to see where all the pieces fit in don't you it would be next to impossible to maybe fill in a picture of spider-man or mickey mouse if you didn't have know the background where mickey mouse or spider-man was standing if you don't have the picture it's hard to piece the pieces together and well the bible we want to have the big picture in our minds as we read it because the bible as we have sung already is made up of one story some people might say it's two or three or lots of lots of different stories but it is one story that we call redemptive history and we'll think about that in a moment but let us lay our foundation as we begin looking at the bible first thing i want to answer is what makes the bible the bible what makes the bible the bible how would you go about answering that question joe at christmas time is normally a time where all the board games get dusted down and played with isn't that right and one of the classic christmas games is normally articulate isn't it you get a word and you have to describe the object or the place without using the word itself and if you're given the bible to describe i wonder how you would go about describing it you might say god's word or it has older new testaments it has jesus in it but imagine you had to describe what the bible was without using those words all of a sudden it becomes that little bit more difficult for us what makes the bible the bible well it's what's in the bible isn't it but what makes the bible the bible firstly is its author what makes the bible the bible is its author see the bible is compiled of many many different books all from many many different authors but there is only one author one divine author and that is god although it is written many many years apart god used people their personalities their contexts their abilities to what was going on around them god inspired them now you know the way authors 
might describe writing their book as like something inspired them to write it, or you might be inspired to go ahead and do something. But this is different. This inspiration is breathed out by God to the authors. So in 2 Timothy 3, we are told that all scripture is God breathed. God breathes the words into the authors to write. We don't need another or a greater experience or revelation, but we have God's very breath to us, his word to us. And well, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21, there are similar words here that give us encouragement that this is God's word, that he is the author. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? Yes, there are many, many different human authors, but each of them, Peter tells us, is carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's not the prophet's or the writer's own interpretation of events. It is God's word to us. It is truth. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. The origin was not in man, but in God. And that is why God's word is totally dependable and reliable. Because God is the author. What else makes the Bible the Bible? Its author, but also its blueprint. The structure of the Bible, what is in it? Of course, we have the Old and the New Testaments. We probably all know that. And we also know that the Bible has different styles within it, don't we? Different literary styles. There is wisdom and history and poetry and revelation. And if you just turn just for a second to the contents page of your Bible, which all of us will probably have, uh, and near the start, the first couple of <coughs> excuse me, first couple of pages, you'll see all the books of the Bible laid out: the books of the Old Testament and the books of the New Testament. And we see there, and there's the picture on the screen if you can see it or not. But the, we can just divide Scripture up even further into what its style is or what it contains. There is the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And here we read of the beginnings of all things, the beginning of Israel, their wandering in the wilderness, their legal and ceremonial uh, laws and writings. And then from Joshua, through to Esther in your contents page, that would be historical books. These books, not in chronological order, but we'll come to that in the weeks that come. But these historical books, we have stories, we have narratives of God's actions, of how God uses men and women of Israel going into exile and returning from exile and what all they got up to and did. And then we have Job, uh, through the Song of Songs, where we have these writings these wisdom and poetic literature and we have to read some of them very differently because they're full of metaphors aren't they and we know that we've studied 
uh, much of Ecclesiastes in recent times and also look much at Psalms. And then we have the prophets, the major and the minor prophets, Isaiah, right through to the end of the Old Testament. On all these prophetic writings, they, we find warnings for God's people. We find promises for God's people to hold on to, but also predictions for God's people too. If they obey and if they do not obey, it's full of blessings and curses. And then in the New Testament, we've Gospels and Acts, the, the life of Jesus, the history of the early church. And then we have letters, these epistles from Romans to 3 John. Again, not necessarily written in the right order, but letters to different churches dotted across Europe, teaching them about Jesus, how to live life as a Christian. And then finally in Revelation, we have these, this prophetic, apocalyptic book that uses a lot of imagery from the Old Testament. And we need to grasp the Old Testament to understand Revelation. And it shows us the final victory of Christ over Satan, where he will finally crush and conquer the serpent, Satan. Bringing all the Lord's holy people to a new heaven and new earth in his dwelling place, in his presence that's the blueprint the roughly broad overview of what we find in scripture but what about its content see what makes the bible the bible is its content too now old and new testament old testament 39 books new testament 27 books and well to summarize them both you could say this that the old testament shows that christ is concealed or in the Old Testament, Christ is concealed. But in the New Testament, Christ is then revealed. Okay, Christ concealed and then revealed. But do we have the right content? Do we have the right books? And we cannot do this entirely just. Because this is a minefield in itself. But very simply, can I just say, yes. Yes, we do. The Old Testament we know is written in mostly hebrew between 1400 bc and 400 bc and after malachi there is an awareness that god wasn't speaking to israel for those years and and then we move into the new testament and that's here where many people seek to cast doubt over god's word the bible why because they are confronted very clearly with christ revealed with jesus dan brown wrote the da vinci code and he puts these words in people's minds and thoughts. And it's even an indication to us to be careful what we read and to, to be guarded what and where and when we read. He says this, The Bible as we know it today was collated by the pagan Roman Emperor Constantine. He commissioned and financed a new Bible which omitted those Gospels that spoke of Christ's human traits and embellished those Gospels that made him godlike. The earlier Gospels were outlawed, gathered up and burnt. See, claims of Dan Brown that people just love to lap up. They get a reaction from people. They, people like his phrases and these words because they get a reaction from people rather than being accurate. No effort he went to to show his words. There is little debate with the books that we have in our New Testament. We can rely wholly on God's word, on his New Testament as it were, because it uses eyewitness accounts from the apostles. 
How long ago did we start Dr. On Call in Luke's Gospel? And we started off with these verses, the first four verses of Luke, where Luke carefully investigates everything from the beginning to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught, that we might know this content is true and reliable. Because not only did the writers witness it and see it, but their very words are given to them by God. The origin is not in the man, but in God. Finally then, what makes the Bible a Bible? Well, also the Bible's direction. I'm sure we have tried to follow signposts or satnavs or different things down the years. And there's just always a point where you're not quite sure where a signpost is pointing to. And I guess that way or this way. But the Bible is very clear in its direction. Whenever Jesus is on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and the guys who've been doing the Bible study, the men and ladies Bible study have looked at these verses uh, together. And in Luke chapter 24 and uh, verse 27, Jesus begins and teaches them what all the scriptures said. Luke 24 verse 27 and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of scriptures concerning himself. And then Jesus will disappear and appear to his disciples. And again, Jesus, we're told, uh, said to them, this is what I told you when I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. So we know that to be the Pentateuch, the prophets, that's a huge list of prophets and the Psalms, the writings. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. See, the Bible has one direction. It's all about Jesus. And we've, we've sang that, that kids song, but it's so true. And it, it's so important not to just sing that with our kids, but also to teach them what it means that all of the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus, to steal the lyrics from a fly, it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. The Bible is all one story, and we call that story redemptive history. And we'll think about that in just a moment. But what makes the Bible the Bible? Well, it's the author. Yes, many human authors, but it's God. The blueprint how it all fits together, the content, what is contained within it, but most of all, its direction, because it's all about Jesus. Secondly then, and the Encounter guys have done some of this already, because uh, we've been studying this whenever we were able to meet way back in October, but we come now to this one story. It's all about Jesus, and it's called Redemptive History. So the redemptive redemption bit we know hopefully to mean that salvation, that act of being saved. The whole way through the Bible there are lots and lots of stories of God's people being saved right the way through. But it's all one great story. And of course the history part is the events that happen in scripture. 66 books but one story. One subject that binds them all together. Numbers in Leviticus to Chronicles and Corinthians. One subject that binds them together. And it's the salvation 
that God offers his people through Jesus. From beginning to end, God is the subject of scriptures. The, the whole book, the Bible, is God-focused and God-centered. It begins with God who existed alone and creates and brings all into existence and ends with this very same God reigning and ruling eternally over all things. It's all about the conquering Jesus. Jesus is not mentioned in every page, but he, but every page points to Jesus. The Bible points to him. So this one thread, this one story in all of scripture, redemptive history, it is the unfolding events in scripture that God uses to redeem his people from sin, fulfilled in Jesus, so that his people know and worship him. Many of you with toddlers will have the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's really good, but it simply says every story whispers his name. Every story points and speaks of Jesus, the one who redeemed us from our sin. But let's look very briefly at Genesis 2 and 3 to help us see this beginnings of redemptive history. And well, the first thing that we see in Genesis 2, in those verses 14 or 15, 17, is that we see work. We see works. In the beginning, God created man and well, God tells Adam to work it and take care of the garden. He's given a, a command not to eat of, of, the tr of this tree. And then he's given the warning as well, isn't he? He's given the consequence if he disobeys. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And here is what we call the covenant of works. Okay? If Adam continues to obey God, he will not die. Okay, that's what is being said here. But if he does disobey, he will die. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. If Adam obeyed and continued to work the garden, he would continue to be living with God in his presence as his person or as his people. See, God's instruction to, Ab or to Adam sorry, has both the promise and the condition. The curse is clear. You will die. If Adam had remained faithful, he would have been rewarded of life, wouldn't he? Because he would not die. So in this covenant of works, there is two things. There is a blessing. If you keep it, you will live. But there's also cursing. If you don't keep it, you will die. And hopefully, there's an illustration on the screen. Hopefully, you can see it from John D. Rhodes' book. And it has the, the person here as Adam and the covenant of works. What does Adam need to do? He needs to be perfectly obedient. And if he keeps that, if he is perfectly obedient, there will be blessing. There will be life. He will be in paradise. He will be with God. But if he is disobedient, he will be cursed. He will die. And because Adam sinned, we all are sinners too. It is in our nature. But God could have abandoned all people when Adam fell. Just left us all to rot and die. To strike us down immediately even. 
But that isn't what God do, because God offers us grace, doesn't he? God offers us grace. And this is now where we turn to Genesis 3 and 15. The first indication that God is going to be saving his people in this history of the world. You're set out what, how God is going to rescue fallen man. Genesis 3.15 He will crush your head. This is the seed of the woman. And you will strike his heel. Jesus will crush your head. That is Satan. And Satan will strike his heel. And Satan will do little to no damage to Jesus. But we know to be Jesus about the seed. And we call this the proto-evangelium, the first proto-evangelium, good news, the first announcement of the good news, the first announcement of God's grace, the covenant of grace. We deserve death, but God offers us life. See, in the whole way through scripture, we will see more covenants, won't we? Abraham, Moses, David, and at each stage, as we work our way through the Old Testament, the covenants build on the one before. Each covenant, we get a picture of a Redeemer that is richer and deeper. We only know in Genesis 3 of this seed. And we think about that more in Genesis next week. But then whenever King David receives his everlasting covenant, we know that this seed is going to come from the line of David. And then that is why Jesus, we're told, comes from the house of David. The Bible is about this covenant of grace, this redemptive history of how God is using the events in Scripture to save his people from their sin. We need grace. Works was dependent on us and we feel. Grace is dependent on God and he never fails. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God saves in the exact same way. It's saved by grace. You just read Hebrews 11 to see that. God saves sinner by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in both the Old and the New Testaments. There is one story, a thread that goes through it all. It's all about Jesus it's all redemptive history, how God is going to use events to save his people. But we know that in the Bible there are many, many different stories, don't we? See, although there are many different stories, really they're not they're all part of one big story. You could say there are different acts, but one story. We don't separate the Old and New Testaments if they're two separate things altogether, different parts. Because the New Testament is similar to the Old. It's salvation by grace. In the Old and New Testament, they talk about an individual need to be trusting the Lord, but also this being part of a corporate body. Just imagine going to a play, not just imagine even doing that, but go to the cinema or to a football match of some sort, and you only turn up for the second half or a little part of it. You admit the out on the having the full understanding of what's going on. So we've been like Shakespeare, okay, and don't don't go to sleep just yet. But in Shakespeare's play, you can be roughly 
and told, break it up into the five acts that his plays are written in. The first act is the prologue, introducing the characters, uh, indicating what the plot might be. Act two, we have the rising action as we follow along the story to act three, where we have the climax of the story. And then act four, we, we drip down to the, the falling action, where we kind of see maybe where the story is going to, the denouement to the end. If you only turned up for one of those acts or two of those acts, you'd be incredibly confused by the ending or what happened at the start. And a number of years ago, I came across this, this simple way using symbols to help us know whenever we're reading our Bible, whereabouts we are in redemptive history, whereabouts we are in God's story. Okay, so the first arrow is a down arrow, and that is for creation. In the first couple of chapters of the Bible, we read how God used his word, how he spoke and created all things into being, how it was good. In chapter 2, we get a, a zoomed in picture of how God created Adam and Eve. The first act in this story is creation. After creation comes the fall, doesn't it? What might that symbol be? It's an X. Where Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they sinned, and there are consequences. And throughout Scripture, we see the impact of sin. But in Genesis 3, we've looked at, we have a promise, don't we? We have a promise that a seed is going to come to conquer Satan. And then, as things progress in Scripture, we get a richer and deeper understanding of what this promise is, of who and this is going to be a land. There's going to be a forever king. There's going to be a messiah. And we get a clearer and clearer and richer and deeper understanding and picture of who this is. And finally, we meet him in the gospel. And that's our fourth act. Where Jesus comes down from heaven to earth. And we see his life, death and his resurrection. All of scripture is, needs to be read through this lens of Jesus. It gives us understanding to the Old and the New Testament as we've seen in the road to MS. Then after Jesus, what's next? It's again, it's an arrow pointing out its mission. You know, Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations. Acts 1. To go out to the ends of the earth. And then we see in scripture, don't we, how that is done. Planting churches. Going out in, on mission, Paul writing back to churches that have been planted and teaching them about Jesus to go out again and again and again. And it's this mission, and that's where we find ourselves today, having to go out. And then finally, what brings it all closed is a down arrow again. It is the new creation where God will bring in. We will be bringing his people into a, a special place because that is where his presence is. Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world and it was good. In the book of Revelation, God will restore all things. This is the end of time. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Different acts in this one story we call the Bible. It's all about Jesus. And hopefully those images are helpful in our minds even as we read scripture where we are at in the story that was our big bible overview as we start the series bible fresh 
redemptive history is the unfolding events in scripture that God uses to redeem his people from sin, fulfilled in Jesus so that his people would know and worship him. We need to know the context of history so we understand better and grasp more of God's word throughout. We need to understand the big picture so we can see how all the pieces fit together just like a jigsaw. In the last month or so, Just Eat was bought over by a Dutch company. And part of their rebranding, because they're Dutch, was to have all Just Eat staff really in orange. And they implemented that apart from in one place in the whole world. Can you guess where it was? Right here, Northern Ireland. Because they, due to many, many complaints, they didn't understand the significance of wearing orange. They needed to know the context, the history better, so that they could understand and grasp what on earth was going on here. And we too need to understand the big picture, how this thread runs through all of scripture. Because God's word is one story of how God is going to save sinners through Jesus.